0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you?
1: Oh, just a box of fluffy ducks. How the hell are you, man?
0: Well, let's do a little peek behind the curtain. Bruce is being kind. He is not feeling well. Bruce has pneumonia, and uh, this may or may not be our best show ever, because maybe he's delusional on meds. Maybe he doesn't feel good, but we're going to do our best to entertain you for the next, oh, however many minutes. Uh, we, we've been saying we wanted to keep these shows short, but last week, Bruce, we went nearly three hours.
1: We did, but it, it, it actually sounds like our audience kind of liked it. So that, that's a good thing, man. But uh, I will apologize in advance uh, for, for this show.
0: All right, Bruce, let's get to the heavy lifting. This is something that we're going to really have to struggle to get a full hour out of, in my opinion, unless we really lay a lot of groundwork so you can kind of understand who these folks are Uh, so I kind of want to start with that and I'd like for you to first talk about signing the Hardy boys. And the first time I remember seeing the Hardy boys, uh, specifically Jeff was doing job matches on TV. I know that I believe Scott Hall worked some with him in the early days of raw and I know for sure, uh, around 97, Rob Van Dam worked some matches with him on raw when you guys were doing the ECW crossover. When did you first start using the Hardy Boys, and how did they go about earning a full-time spot, as you recall?
1: Well, the Hardys started coming in, and they were extras, uh, enhancement talent, that came in and did TVs from time to time. Um, Obviously, brothers. uh, Matt and Jeff would come in. They'd work tag teams as the Hardy Boys and what have you. Uh, Jeff, as we found out later, was actually coming in and working underage. Uh, coming in and working our tapings and saying that he was actually eighteen when I think he was a little bit uh, younger than eighteen. He might have been sixteen or seventeen at the time. But they were two kids that came in. They lived in Cameron, North Carolina. Uh, they would drive themselves. I believe it was the Italian Stallion. Wow. Who was a uh, an old uh, guy that we used to get talent from. Not he he himself wasn't an old guy. Just. I feel old thinking about those old days, but stallion. I, I believe that is the one that first introduced the hardies to us. And they came in and were uh, enhancement talent. Uh, fast forward a few years when we started with our developmental system and we were looking at guys that were out there that we could bring in that just needed some polish. They needed, you know, a little bit more training and, and, uh, kind of like a finishing school if you will sure Jim Cornette suggested the Hardys and we brought them in and they came to the very first Funkin Dojo wow. which was run by Dory Funk Jr my brother Tom Pat Patterson and they were a part of that very first group that we brought up to Connecticut and they spent a couple weeks and went and did shows and and got in the ring with Tom and Dory every day and and They were a part of that, and they were just two great, hungry, young guys that wanted to be wrestlers, and they had talent. So out of that, we ended up signing them to a deal.
0: And then eventually, uh, they are paired with (laughs) Michael P.S. Hayes, who at the time (laughs) is doing the Doc Hendricks gimmick. And um, I think some people know the story, but I'd like to hear your story about how they got paired together, what their travel situation looked like, what his role was to them, uh, how they came up with their attire, all that stuff, as far as you can remember about just really forming the early days of the Hardy boys.
1: Okay. Well, let's think about this for a minute. When it comes to tag team wrestling and being a hell of a mentor, I don't think you can get much better than Michael BS Haynes, uh, to teach knaves to teach somebody and Michael was there as Doc Hendricks and and Michael never lost the performing bug. Michael always wanted to be on camera. Michael loved participating and Michael saw something in the Hardys as well that he felt that he could hone and he could craft. And so the idea was why not do the old school way of training people you stick them on the road with a veteran right and they sit under the learning tree so these two kids had the uh, curse or the benefit of traveling with michael psa's every night and going out performing and getting that critique every single night and michael being at the ring with them to help them through their matches Uh, the feeling was that Matt and Jeff were not the best on promos. Michael Hayes has been known to be able to cut a promo or two. So Michael cut the promos. Michael helped him in the ring and they, they traveled together and it was, it was a very old school way of going about it. But I dare say that it worked pretty good.
0: Yeah. It's hard to argue with the results after seeing all the success they've had, that it wasn't a success. And, uh, I know that both of them really credit him uh, in a big way with the early success in their career. And he still refers to them as his kids. So it's a relationship that's lasted all these years later. Of course, Michael is still with the company, uh, in a very prominent position. Uh, let's talk a little bit about first signing edge. edge well, has-
1: hang on, Let, let's back up a minute. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Another part of that question that, that is not very well known. I, I don't know if anyone's ever told the story. I think if anybody would, it'd probably be Matt but you asked about how their attire came about and what have you in the parachute pants and so on and so forth. I don't know that the, the answer to that question. I don't really recall exactly how that all came about, but I do remember Matt coming to me and, and telling a story about being on the road with Michael and, and Michael liked to have a cocktail or two from time to time, as hard as that may be to comprehend. And, Michael is an extremely intense individual. And one night while the three of them were together driving down the road or in a hotel room, I'm not really sure it's Matt's story, but Michael kind of looks at them and says, Hey, I got an idea. We're going to get jackets made, full length jackets all the way, all the way down to our toes. And we're going to put, Utensils on them. Knives, forks, spoons. Just utensils all over jackets. That'll be cool. And then nothing. And Matt and Jeff are kind of looking at him and, and uh, just waiting for the punchline here. And there was no punchline. Michael's idea was he wanted to do these long dusters with. Uh, kitchen utensils or eating utensils. Flat all over. Flatware. Flatware. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be cool, Nabes. Harder boys, Mike
0: A's, Nabes.
1: You know, actually, I should do the rest of this thing in Michael's voice. This is a little bit easier for me to do than just try and talk to you.
0: I'm fine with that. Help me understand. What the hell's going on with flatware?
1: Looks cool. Dude, that, dude. that's it nah, that's that that was it man and they then then he never brought it up again but they just thought that was one of the craziest things they'd ever heard and then fast forward to their career and look at them now i guess that the uh, flat wear on jackets isn't so crazy after all
0: uh yeah i mean i guess i don't know what's going on all I'm right sorry. let's uh <laughs> I mean, it's a fun story. I got a
1: big-ass shot today, man. That thing had to be, like, about yay big, I swear, and it hurts. It didn't hurt when I got it. It hurts like hell now. This
0: is a podcast. They can't see your hand gestures.
1: Oh. Um, It's pretty big, I swear. I promise it's big. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, First. (laughs) Oh, You're still with me. Uh, first, signing Edge. Uh, Edge had gained a little popularity working the independence as Sexton Hardcastle, and you guys promoed him to death before he actually debuted. Uh, and then, of course, he debuts as a part of the Brood. Uh, he's with um, Christian and Gangrel. Kind of catch me up on what that process looked like to sign him, what the original idea was behind his character, and then the decision to pair these guys together as the Brood.
1: Well, Adam Copeland, Edge, was working in Canada and he was a part of that same class that the Hardys were a part of, he and Christian both. So they had come in and been a part of the Funkin' Dojo and it was the same thing. He he was a good-looking young talent, a lot of charisma, uh, good in the ring, made the offer. And I'll never forget, we were at a uh, spot show in Massachusetts at the end of the Funkin Dojo, and I, I got to pull Edge out into an alley behind the uh, school where we were performing that night, and offer him a contract and say we'd love to we'd love to bring you in and do something with you. And about that same time, uh, Dave Heath, who was Gangrel, was coming up, and Dave pitched the vampire gimmick, and everybody just shit all over the vampire gimmick. You know, it's a hokey gimmick. It's silly. It's not real. And about this same time there was, you know how you have those, uh, weekly newspapers, free newspapers that you can pick up, you know, the clubs and things like that. Everybody's got them in your own area. Well, in Norwalk, Connecticut, it was called, I think it was called the Fairfield something or other. And their front page story was about the underground vampire scene in Connecticut. And it was incredible reading about these people who lived their lives as vampires and that Connecticut was this huge, huge, I'm telling you, huge uh, following of vampires, so I use that as ammunition. I honestly I shit on it when I first heard the pitch from Dave, but you know, try to try it on a little bit and see, hmm, you know, I don't know, maybe this could work. And the, the timing of that article coming out, them doing this whole feature and, and talking about uh the clubs where they have where they drink blood and they do all these rituals. But it was it was a hell of a movement. I mean, there's a, there's a big underground of vampires in, in this world. So it wasn't as far fetched as people who are thinking Bella Lugosi and, and, you know, I to suck your blood. You know, we, we weren't doing that. It was uh, a little different deal. And both Christian and, uh, edge, Kind of had that look. They they had that young, good-looking, kind of cool, hip look that maybe they could be vampires too and be a part of it and join them up with Gangrel. But that was an evolution. We brought Edge Edge in first as kind of a loner and a dark character. Um,
0: but the plan originally was to go that direction, and um, I guess you know it's natural to want to know how the split comes, but before we get to that, let's get into, uh, Lita Lita, before she came into the company, uh, had a brief stint in ECW. Uh, I know, you know, the, the story is she spent a lot of time, uh, and doing some independence and doing some stuff in Mexico and just kind of bouncing all around, but she makes an appearance in uh, early 99 and with ECW. And then by the end of the year is signed to a developmental deal. Uh, And then on TV with S.A. Rios. There's a name from the past. Uh, Do you remember how that evolution happened with her and signing her and what the original plans for her, what you guys saw in her, any of that?
1: Well, I remember seeing Amy, and she was – I don't remember if it was for – ECW. I know she had done some stuff down with uh, Dory Funk in Florida, and I had heard about her in Mexico as well. So I'd reached out because uh, you know what? I think it was through ECW, but I don't want to be specific there. I don't really <laughs> don't know for sure. But we we brought Amy in and talked to her, and she met with me and Jim Ross. Um she just had a unique look. Oh and yeah. And she was pretty good in the ring. What's that?
0: No, I just said oh yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I, she has a unique look and the tattoo on her shoulder was different. You know, a lot of girls, a lot of people didn't have tattoos like they do even back then. So the she spoke Spanish. She had a very unique look and we needed someone for uh papi s a rios who was uh, aguilar aguilar in mexico and he was a big star in mexico under a mask and vince wanted to take the mask off of him and his english was not good All right so we thought well let's let's give him an english speaking manager and then we thought well hell man he's we got this good looking girl and amy she speaks english and spanish Um, give him a different look, give him a different feel. So we put Amy with him.
0: The way my uh, notes have it, she was with ECW and then, uh, becomes introduced to Dory Funk. Dory Funk then smartens up WWE, gives them the opportunity. Uh, and then she comes over not too long after that. Uh, the split kind of, you know, happens with her and S.A. Rios, uh, in storyline where Sa is spending too much time with Godfather's hose and Lita, uh, turns against that whole situation. Um, and he power bombed her after she cost him a match. So not long after that, they get together, uh, the Hardy boys do with Lita and start referring to themselves as team extreme, but before that would happen, Uh, we would have to first eliminate Michael Hayes. So Hayes goes away. It's just the Hardy boys by themselves. They have a series of matches, uh, that culminates at no mercy in a big time ladder match. The first of its kind that really started to kind of set the stage here. Uh, if memory serves with edge and Christian and they call it the Terry invitational tournament, the tit for Terry Runnels. Do you remember
1: Well, I wonder who came up with that name.
0: I'll let you, I mean, I don't want to put the heat on me, so go ahead. Who thought of the tit? Who do you think? I'll tell you if you're right. I would go that their first name is Vince. That's
1: correct. Go ahead.
0: And uh, there aren't two capital letters in their last name. But there are double, there are double letters. There are double letters. It does end in a vowel. There you go. Okay.
1: I'd say you'd be correct.
0: So, uh. It was a
1: way, it was, you know, Terry, uh, Terry Runnels, who was manager at the time, just auditioning young talent kind of for boy toys.
0: No, it was phenomenal at the time because I was the age group where I was for anything that had her on TV more. So I'm in. Uh, and and the supposed winner of the tournament would not only get her managerial services, but the sum of $100,000. So a hundred grand. And, and, and if you win tit, you get Terry. So, uh, they had a ladder match with the cash, uh, above the ring. And of course, inside of that was a contract for her to be your manager. Uh, but eventually that all goes away and we get team extreme and we'll cover what happens next later. Uh, the Dudley boys come in, edge and Christian are superstars. They drop Gangrel. Uh, Lita is around and she helps with team extreme. And these guys really just go all out and do a lot of good and maybe a lot of damage for the business with the crazy tone they set because it was over the top, super entertaining. I don't know how anybody wasn't into that at the time. Uh, but you did tell a funny story, uh, to me once about these crazy ladder spots with michael ps hayes and i don't know if now's the time to tell it but if it it seems like a fun time to tell it since we've already talked about hayes in this particular episode
1: well since we all know about michael's uh high flying daredevil daredevil hijinks during his career it would only be natural that michael would be the innovator of all the high-flying Hardy moves and Edge and Christian and Dudleys and what have you. No, it, the, the story, it's it's a funny story that uh, pretty much everybody tells because it was interesting at the time. You know, when you, you got a ladder match, you got all these young guys that are willing to do any and everything, um, especially Jeff Hardy, who would sit there and look and say, well, how high is how high is that Titan Tron? Well, could I get higher and jump off of it? Um, Just fearless. Absolutely fearless. And Michael would explain these extremely dangerous (laughs) daredevil stunts to be done. You can't call them anything else but stunts. Um, And as he's going over all these crazy things to do in the ladder match with the tables and ladders and the chairs, oh, my and and then boom and then Jeff, you climb up there on top of the thing, you do a double reverse swung tone, and then at the last minute, you move. Now you crash through that, boom, bang, then you go on up to the top, then you get up there, then you hang and you swing off of that, you catch in with it. It's just crazy shit. <coughs> and in the background, Triple H is standing there and he just, uh Hey Michael, uh, why don't you just up there and show those guys how to do that one time real quick. And uh, it just was one of those deals. It was a funny ha-ha story. You got to know Michael, and and you got to love him the way that I do to, to really appreciate it. But, yeah, there were a lot of crazy things that were suggested, and there was never anything that was too crazy for Jeff Hardy, it seemed. And Michael's usually pretty quick to volunteer Jeff for just about <laughs> everything as well.
0: If you had to describe Michael Hayes in a noise, what would it be? Doop, doop, doop. right. Let's move along. Babes. Um, Splitting of these tag teams. So, you know, we've talked about their phenomenal success. They have as teams, Edge and Christian, and of course the Hardy boys. I'm curious for you to kind of talk about splitting these guys up. And how that comes about who you expect to do what, what the expectations are of a split, blah, blah, blah. Let's start with the Hardy boys. Hey guys, are you looking for the perfect father's day gift idea? I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see paint your life, transform your photos into a one of a kind hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload photos of anything you can imagine. You choose the artists and the art medium. They've even got great frames. It all takes less than five minutes to get started and you can get your portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at painterlife.com, And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details
1: you know, I, the – originally it was just to, to get, you know, two single stars out of it. You know, Jeff had the charisma. Jeff had that, that rock star feel about him. And Matt was a hell of a technician. And, you know, Matt in many ways was the glue that held them together. You know, Jeff was the daredevil and Jeff was the charismatic just – Crazy Daredevil, and and Matt was the grounded one that uh, was the more sensible of the two, I guess. But it was just simply to get two individual stars. It's the same thing with Edge and Christian. You know, they started going out. Edge started to really get over as a single competitor, and people wanted to see Edge more so than they wanted to see that team of Edge and Christian. And it just you know, edge got further and further away. And when he went out on his own became, in my opinion, a mega star.
0: So kind of talk us through, you know, just the, the thinking of if you've got a tag team that's working and it's a hit and it's connecting with the audience and they're into it, when do you know is the right time to break them up? Is there like a hard and fast rule or some sort of rule of thumb or are there- no, no.
1: There, there's not, but it's, you know, to to talk about it, you and I have had this discussion before when people say, well, they, why don't they have more tag teams? Why didn't the Road Warriors be uh, just the world tag team champions, the WWE champion, and, and all this other stuff? There's a very simple philosophy that Vince kind of subscribed to as far as tag teams as a unit. The reason that he wasn't a big tag team guy is, in a lot of respects, simply budget. Okay? When you can have a match that involves two guys, it's much more economical than having a match with four guys. Yeah. same You know, you got the same match, but, you know, it's different. And you, you've got to pay two extra guys in every tag team match still a match still taking up the same amount of time but i mean that is how simplistic it really is looked at at times
0: a lot of people you same
1: know, with the manager
0: a lot of people would hear what you're saying right there and attribute that cost situation to a independent promoter or a tna promoter type mentality and they will not necessarily buy into the fact that this is the thought process behind Vince McMahon. Um, I'm just fascinated that that's. I mean, I believe you because I'm a businessman. Well, I, I
1: mean, it. that is his thought process.
0: Even the way they spend money on. Well, they
1: didn't always spend that kind of money on stuff. But yes, back in the day, going all the way back to his dad's. Territory, you usually only had one tag, you know, like a couple tag teams. There was only one really featured tag team. It wasn't, uh, you know, you, you'd look back and look at really over tag teams. There's a handful. Yeah. That's it. And there's a reason for that. It's economics. If a promoter can pay two guys and get the same amount out of them, they can for four guys. They're going to go for the two guys.
0: Now, let me let me ask you this, though. There is a mentality uh, amongst some old-school Southern promoters where they would run a lot of tag matches, and they would do that because they felt like they could get longer matches out of it. So it was in an effort not necessarily to fill a match card as far as advertising a great quantity of matches, but they felt like they could have longer matches, and it was easier to book tag matches from a heat standpoint um kind of carry me through the thought process where Vince would say it's not so much about the show length it's about filling up a match card is that just fundamentally
1: no it's about bodies it's about how many people you got to pay and I, I I don't I I don't understand what you're saying as far as southern promoters I know that we used to have you know for a spot show you would have your match you'd have two single matches and then you'd bring those four guys back in a tag, and then you would have your main event. So the the first two matches, those four guys would come back in a third match in a tag team match. So that's how you got your tag teams without having to add four more guys to the card. You're not even adding two more guys to the card. So that's how a lot of the tag mats originally, you know, came about in a lot of respects. Um, economics,
0: well, so but hear me out on d- this part. When you said you didn't follow what I was saying there, you look at a match like or a show like WrestleMania four, you know, there's approximately 123 matches on that card. And some of the matches are like a minute. Well, what's the sense in having two guys go out and do a one minute or a two minute or a three minute match. If you did have a 25 minute tag match, then you've got four guys. Sure. But you're getting 25 minutes out of it instead of two guys for five minutes. So as far as just length.
1: Because you get to see more talent with those one and two minute matches and it feels bigger. That's what wow, I saw 20 matches that's what or I was to say. they only had five matches.
0: So Vince's mentality was from promoting a card, you know, let's go back to the old school poster days If you could just post that you've got 12 big matches, that was maybe considered more of a draw than when you got there. It being a bunch of, as the, as Ric Flair used to do hour long broadways. Yes. Okay. That's all I needed. Uh, so now these guys are going to be split up and the rumors and innuendo would lead you to believe that the company thought Jeff Hardy and edge are the stars, and uh, they're the Shawn Michaels of these respective groups. They're the Bret hearts of these respective groups. And, uh, Christian and Matt are kind of the Marty Jannetty spot. Now that's not my opinion, certainly current day, but the rumors and innuendo and perception and the way they were seemingly booked right after would lead you to believe that that was the way the company leaned true or false.
1: It's the way that the audience accepted them. It's, it's the way that the audience, I mean, the audience tells you what they want. They do. You know, I would dare say that the audience wanted more of Edge and wanted more of Jeff.
0: I can't argue that. Uh, Matt Hardy goes on to become the cruiserweight champion and a European champion. He has a long run there. Uh, he eventually does his version one deal. Uh, he had Matt facts, which we're seeing kind of similar stuff with, um, uh, Curt Hawkins. One of his gimmicks uh, at the time was to have kind of a herky jerky video and it would show his individual facts on the side. Uh, the herky jerky video was to simulate that you were watching this on like, you know, a windows player live. You were streaming it. This is kind of in the infancy of the internet. Well, not really, but, uh, not nearly what it is now where you're streaming matches, you know, instead of pay-per-views. Do you remember whose idea and and who came up with this character, Matt Hardy version one and his little MFers and Matt followers and Matt facts and having an internet style feel?
1: That was Matt.
0: Okay, great. That's not what I expected you to hear. I expected uh, there to be more creativity there. So what does that look like as far as the WWE creative? He just comes and says, Hey, I've got an idea. What about this? And you guys co-signed it and liked it. Yeah. I mean,
1: it was an idea. It was, we often ask talent, you know, what do you see for yourself? What would you like to do? do? You have any ideas? And that was Matt's idea.
0: Well, he did a phenomenal job with it. It started to really get over in a big way. Uh, Edge goes on to become the intercontinental champion. Uh, he has a good run there. And uh, now I guess we'll go ahead and start transitioning into what we're here for. And that's to talk about uh, the love triangle. But first, uh, we should probably lay a little bit of groundwork. Um, edge was married at the time to a woman named Lisa. Uh, did you know, Lisa, had you met her before?
1: Was that, uh, the first, second or third one?
0: Okay. So,
1: well, no, I'm, I'm, and I don't mean that to be mean. I I really and truly don't. Uh, was that his first wife?
0: I, I don't know. I, I knew his
1: first wife, I was there when he asked her to marry, and that was Valvinus's sister. I don't remember, man. I think it was his second wife though.
0: Okay. Uh let's uh for the purposes of our story, I don't know that it matters. I don't know that Well it's... you asked the question. Well, I asked if you knew her and you, you kinda of buried him and asked which one. So that what... no, it's not a burial.
1: He knows. I love him to death.
0: Uh, he married Elena Morley in 2001. Uh, they divorced in 2004. Uh, Lisa Ortiz was his second wife. They married in October of Oh four and would divorce November the following year. I wonder why. Uh, he's with number three now. And I think you're kind of being a jerk with that. And that's Beth. I'm Phoenix. not being a jerk with that. Just,
1: well, He said first, second, he's had third, two successful but... divorces.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right, anyway, didn't want, didn't mean to get sidebarred. He's married at the time to Lisa Ortiz. They're married in October of 2004. Uh, Matt and Lita had been together at this point when all this is going down in 2005 for like six years. They started dating in early 1999. Uh, we're, this is starting to feel very TMZ-like, but this is what we're talking about. Uh, Matt is off the road here in 2005 with a reconstructive knee surgery. He'd torn his ACL, was set to be out for like nine months. So right in the middle of, uh, his career here, he's sidetracked not too long after the split, uh, Lisa, I'm sorry, Lita had, uh, started traveling alone, uh, in the absence of Matt, of course they were traveling together. Uh, and prior to this, uh, he had been on SmackDown and doing really well after a draft and, and a split they separated them. And I want your kind of feedback as to why, if you know that Matt Hardy and Lita are together and we saw this this year with Del Rio and page, why does the company split couples like this where Matt is now on SmackDown and Lita is on raw?
1: Well, it's, it's not, it had nothing to do with, you know, their personal situation. Um, it's just one of those things where it's time for a change and split it up on screen and do a little bit, something different. But, you know, that, that's one of those things that just kind of happens. Well, you know, some, some people they'll keep together. Some people they won't.
0: Why don't you think there would be consideration given to that?
1: There is some consideration. I don't know that there was necessarily consideration given to that though.
0: Okay. Uh, so that's a non-answer. Let's move along.
1: Uh-huh. No, I, I did answer. You didn't like my answer.
0: Well, it just seems, it seems random that, you know, well, sometimes they are and sometimes they're not, but why
1: Because sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't, but you can't give because, me any reason as because to why you here. want to do something different with them and having them on the same thing. They're going to gravitate towards the same old, same old. When you get them separated, they get in new territory and maybe they'll exceed and they'll do something different.
0: So you're, you're, what you're saying is you're trying to get the individual performer outside of a comfort zone behind the scenes, not necessarily creatively in front of the camera. All the above. Okay. See, I I don't think that was that hard. Uh, So anyway, (laughs) Lita is uh, traveling alone here because Matt's home. Uh, And and Lita, uh, this is worth mentioning, even though they're separated, Matt asked to come to Raw. So when he comes to Raw, he's not featured nearly as prominently. Uh, They were doing something with him on SmackDown, not so much on Raw. Do you have any comments about that?
1: no i mean it was it was simply a situation of you know like you said there was something for him there on smackdown with the brand split and they you know had people for him to work and things for him to do there and on raw there there wasn't that fit there
0: so here's my question it was was a
1: different environment
0: Who, who were who were the writers on each show was it the same writing group No. Or was it split? Okay. No,
1: it was split writing group.
0: Talk us through who would have been on the writing staffs of SmackDown and Raw at the time.
1: Uh, Brian and Ed would have been probably on Raw, and uh, Michael and and DJ would have been on SmackDown.
0: Michael Hayes and and DJ is who?
1: krista Joseph.
0: Okay. Well, I'm just saying you're speaking in shorthand. Not everybody listening knows who these people.
1: Well, I'm trying to remember. I...
0: And you're on meds. Keep up. You're it.
1: telling people to stick stuff in their Google machine.
0: All right. Krista Joseph and Michael Hayes on SmackDown are taking good care of Matt Hardy. Ed Kosky and Brian Gerwitz don't have anything for him. Go words. Okay. Well, thank you. See, so you said Not Brian. Gerwitz. You said Brian. And if you would pronounce it. You, ju- you know a. what? So help me understand. You said a minute ago. They had something for him and people to work with on SmackDown, and they didn't on Raw. If they know that well, they, going in, why do they let? Why do they let him move? Like, why don't they say no? You can't move.
1: Probably because he wanted he wanted to move. He was unhappy where he was. Didn't want unhappy people around.
0: Well, he didn't want to be split up to begin with. But you did it. Okay. So so help me on. So you
1: get split up. You have an opportunity to do something. You're unhappy with that. You want to go back somewhere else. And and
0: so here's my. That's question. a
1: chance you take.
0: I get that. But is there a little bit of you? And I want you to just be honest here and not just go right into defense mode. Is there a little bit of, God damn, we're pushing the kid and he's still not happy? He wants to be over here. We're going to fucking put him on the bottom for a little while.
1: No, it's simply a situation of when you're sitting there and you're writing TV. And from a frustration standpoint on the SmackDown side, I'm going to venture a guess. I'm not going to say this is what it was. i will venture a guess where it's like, damn, we've got something for him over here. We want to do something with him. He doesn't want that. He wants to go over there. Well, now Ross sitting there going, well, we've already got, you know, stuff going on with other people. Now we've got a new guy and it's a different environment different situation
0: it feels a little bit to me like if i had to put myself in those shoes which admittedly obviously i never have i would feel some pressure to find something for everyone but i might feel a little less pressure if this guy was already getting a push somewhere else and then came over and he was just kind of thrown in my lap i might say Well, listen, if something awesome pops up, I'll give it to him, but I'm not going to go out of my way to try to make this work. I've got all these other guys I'm trying to cater to.
1: Try not to do that, though. I mean, you you try to do something as best you can for everybody, but unfortunately, the the reality of the situation is probably what you said. Um, I can't speak for them.
0: Right. Okay. Well, good deal. Let's move along a little bit, and uh, let's talk about it. Uh, So let's set the stage again. Edge's married to a woman named Lisa. They've been married since October of '04. We're now in uh, February of 2005, so not that long uh, into that marriage. Uh, Edge, um, or I'm sorry, Matt and Lita have been together though about six years at this point. And Matt's home. He's off the road. He's got a torn ACL. He's rehabbing to come back. He's supposed to be sidelined for like nine months. Everybody knows a torn ACL is pretty legit. So lead is traveling alone and is traveling alone. Obviously these guys were all big friends. Uh, he asks, um, if they can travel together, she runs it past Matt. Matt says, Hey, cool. With me, you know, you guys are buds. They go from casual friends to being alone in these long car rides every night, which the company still has them doing, uh, it's routine for them to, you know, drive 250, 300 miles a night after the show. So. That lends itself to two people just talking, and when men and women do that over and over and over on this crazy schedule, things happen, and things certainly started to happen. Matt would say that Lita started to act weird around Valentine's Day in 2005, and then a week or so later, he goes through her voicemail in the middle of the night, which is never a good move for those of you listening. If you're a young person, don't do that. Uh, No good can come from that, and it didn't hear Uh, He listened to the voicemail and he heard Edge professing his love for her. Uh, He immediately forwards those to himself and Hurricane Helms before confronting her with the voicemails on his own phone and then promptly throws her out, leaves a nasty message for Edge, and then takes her pictures off his website, puts puts away all her pictures in the house, uh, and a few days later wondered if it could be fixed. But, of course, we all know that didn't work out. Uh, well, then it gets out on the Internet, supposedly, when Matt Hardy's friend writes a blog. And then it goes viral, as they say, and Matt starts airing the dirty laundry everywhere. And I would imagine this happens from a uh, trying-to-save-face standpoint and maybe just trying to put the heat on them. But he's obviously in a very an, emo- an emotional state when all this happens. When's the first time you remember hearing... Houston, we have a problem.
1: Well, I was in Houston at the time, and (laughs) I actually wasn't wasn't there when it all first started happening. I had some personal issues going on at home, and, you know, I was not going to TVs on a regular basis. I I was, you know, kind of maybe once a month at the time.
0: People online are going to hear what you just said. And assume that you're saying, uh, you had drug issues. That's not the case.
1: No, not the case.
0: Okay. You you, You had a family situation. Yeah. Family issues. Okay.
1: And so, uh, my, my involvement was over the phone. Uh, you know, I'm hearing pretty much rumor and innuendo like everyone else at the time. So I wasn't there in the pit for probably the very beginning of it. I didn't come back full time until right after uh Matt was let
0: go. Okay.
1: Uh so that was it was it was uh, I, I don't know, it was like 6-8 weeks maybe in that time frame.
0: So let's go through it. Uh on April 11th, 2005, Matt is released. Uh, He says that Johnny Ace called him while he was rehabbing for his comeback and told him he was going to be released because, quote, creative doesn't have anything for you. Uh, Matt says he pressed and wanted to know if this had anything to do with his personal situation, and Johnny Ace said no. Uh, Matt believes that Ace had a personal vendetta against him, uh, and Johnny Ace would later say that he had multiple conversations around this time about being immature and making emotional decisions and that he did not have a personal vendetta. He had just simply spoken to him several times, uh, about this, uh, at the shows, fans start chanting, you screwed Matt at edge, which really starts to get him over as a heel in a big way, whether they wanted it or not. Uh, they're ch- alternating, I guess, between you screwed Matt and we want Matt. I think everybody remembers at one night stand that year. Uh, Paul Heyman says something along the lines of hide your wives. It's, uh, hide your wives. It's edge. And then later says he has two words for him, but says three Matt freaking Hardy and, um, edge does the fake spit take and just got a big pop catering to the fans, uh, for the cheap pop. Uh, Edge and Lita at this time would go on record uh, in every interview since and say that they really felt like they had been alienated in the locker room and that the locker room had turned on them. Do you remember any sort of situation like that when you came back after he was gone? Yeah.
1: You know, let, let's go back to the whole Johnny Ace thing. Okay. Um, I believe, I do believe Johnny's take on that. And I, I'm sure that there was probably a feeling that, Matt airing his dirty laundry and and Matt being emotional and going public with everything probably didn't help his cause. And I'm sure that Johnny probably tr- had several conversations with him. I was not privy to the conversations between Matt and Johnny, but that wouldn't surprise me. Okay. Um, and as far as, Adam and Lita kind of being ostracized a little bit. Yeah, there were, I think, guys that looked at it, you know, the bro code, and felt that not cool. You know, Matt's at home, but at the same time, look, I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna take sides here. Life happens sometimes, and as you say, you know, they're in the they're on the road, they're in the car for many hours every single night in between towns. Shit happens. I'm saying right, not saying it's wrong. It's just life. Life happens sometimes. And I dare say in the end, as we all sit here today, everything worked out, you know, pretty good on all sides, you know, on all fronts, but it it sucked at the time going through it on both sides of it. And so you fast forward a little bit, you know, Heyman does his stuff and uh, the Matt freaking Hardy comment. And the audience, you know, the audience is intelligent, man. They know, you know, they read the crap, and so they're, they're doing the chance. And it's one of those situations that I always would say to people, you know, talent can't be denied. Right. And if it's there, you know, it's there. So there was a groundswell of, man, we want Matt Hardy. The real-life story that was going on behind the scenes was now taking place in front of the cameras. And we've only got, you know, two thirds of this trilogy here. So you're sitting there going, okay, do you just ignore it? You know, when a crowd hijacks a a live show with, we want Matt chance and bringing signs and everything else. Do you just go, okay, well, Uh, They'll go away. After a while, they don't go away. They get louder. So I'd come back at that time, and as I've stated before, you know, kind of like with the the Kurt Angle, Jeff Jarrett situation. Whenever there is reality thrown into a storyline, a make-believe storyline, and people question whether that's real or not. Right. Those are the best. Absolutely. When you can't tell if it's real or Memorex, those are the best. And, you know, I threw out the idea. What if? What if Matt Hardy came back? Can they work together? Because what people forget is that these characters that are larger than life on TV And are in your living rooms every week. They're just real life people going through the same shit that you're going through. They just happen to work on TV. Right. And happen to be known by millions of people by their stage names. But they still have emotions and feelings and real life problems just like everybody else. So you have to weigh that when you look at mixing uh, real life you know art imitates life life imitates art and when you play with that fire sometimes you get burned but it's it's a touchy touchy subject so Uh, I'd kind of come on, come back from not being there every week. (laughs) And, you know, I'm like, do, 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 um, what if guys, you know, they've been living it, the, the guys there, they've been living it every week. And, you know, I come in, I'm all fresh. I'm all happy to be back. You know, shit, I've, I'm rested. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be, uh, back at work. So. I get in and I throw the idea out there. Well, I'm sure that the idea had been thrown out there many times before, but all of a sudden it's a new, you know, new, new voice, you know, it's, God damn it. Why the hell didn't anybody else think of this type deal? And you know, it's, it's, uh, we tried it on, you know, and, and it's like, well, talk to them and see if they're game for it. So I took, uh,
0: before you get to that go ahead. Uh, on camera, they had already started to put them together. So edge and the Lita.
1: Lita and, and edge. edge. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: They're, they're on camera together and it's a natural decision because, you know, they're taking over whenever Lita comes out to do a promo, they're taking over with these chants and they can't do anything but address them. Um, kind of the similar situation with edge, no matter what they're, they're supposed to do based on the script or storyline, uh, this thing has taken over a life of its own. So they put them together, make them heels and edge sort of starts to become the rated R superstar that he would eventually really level up with. And Lita started saying she was finally with a quote unquote real man. And so they're talking about it, but not really talking about it. And they're making out and talking about sex and Lots of crazy stuff. Um, and around the same time, Matt Hardy is really going off the deep end with crazy stuff online and it looks like he's almost unhinged. He's calling himself the angelic Diablo and doing crazy videos in a hot tub and such, uh, the beginning of this broken character that has really gotten over. You can kind of see some of the seeds of this here, uh, before you pitched this, had they already done the wedding angle?
1: I don't remember. I, I don't remember the timing of it, so but real, so real quick, I do in
0: June, they do a wedding angle with edge and Lita and they ask if it, you know, the old speak now forever, hold your peace and they play Hardy's music. Of course, Hardy's not there, but it's just built feeding into this more and more and more. I mean, almost like a wrestling's version of a Rickroll, right there. Um, And then of course we see that they have made on, on July 11th, 2005, Matt returns unannounced backstage and attacks edge before being run off by the agents. There's something at the end of the match. We'll talk about or end of the night too. We'll talk about in a minute, but get back to how you finally kind of get everybody to at least consider this as an angle and you pitch it. Vince doesn't hate it. He likes the idea. Where do we go from here?
1: Well, you know, feelers were sent out. I think Michael talked to Matt, and it was uh, my duty to sell it to Matt and Lita, and that was not an easy sell. And I remember taking them up into the stands in an arena, wherever the hell we were for TV, and pitching the idea. They were dead set against it. They had lived it, and it was a very difficult it had been a difficult time for everybody involved. And, you know, it was obviously a difficult time for Matt. It was obviously a difficult time for Lita. And it was obviously a difficult time for Adam. And not saying anybody's right or wrong, it just sucked. My feeling was well, hell, might as well make some money with it. The audience is begging for it, it's real. The emotions are there, so you don't have to worry about getting into character. Um, Can you do it? Can you work with them? Would you be willing to try this on with the proviso that if it doesn't work and it gets out of hand, we would end it? And they thought about it, they being Edge and Lita, and reluctantly agreed to do it. So um, I really don't remember who the hell talked to Matt. I think, I think it was Michael, and then obviously probably Johnny Ace was involved. But we came up with the idea to to have Matt jump the railing and come in and attack Edge. But the, the most fucked up thing that happened that night was that I had to get Edge and Matt Hardy together. For the first time since all this shit blew up and go over what we wanted to do, you know, physicality wise and and what we were going to do, because not everyone knew that Matt Hardy was going to be there and what we were going to do with Matt. It wasn't widely known. We had snuck Matt in and we had him at a separate hotel and we had sent a car over to go pick him up a stretch limousine And when I knew the limousine was there, Edge and I went out and I sat between them in a car and explained what we were going to do. And it was the first time they had seen each other. They shook hands. They were very professional and uh, laid everything out for them.
0: And so we see it on July 11th, 2005. Uh, As I said before, Matt returns unannounced and attacks Edge backstage. Uh, They shoot it like it's a shoot. The agents run him off. Uh, They don't get a clear camera angle. It just feels rushed, Um, so it makes it feel authentic. And then towards the end of the show, he jumps uh, from the, the crowd into the ring, and security tries to separate them as he attacks Edge Uh, and eventually Hardy gets on the mic and this is where you guys really started to make it feel real. He refers to edge as Adam, which is the first time that had happened in this situation. And he even referred to Lita as a whore, which shocked me even for WWE standards. Uh, but then he even yells ring of honor and ROH before saying that WWE can kiss his ass. Kind of carry me through whose idea it was to, and I know we just talked a minute ago about when you can blur the lines between reality, that's when it really makes it awesome. So you can kind of point things on the show and say, okay, I know, I know that's kind of, you know, winking or nod, tongue in cheek, but this, this was real. Whose idea is it? Obviously Vince Greenlighted all the ideas, but whose idea is it to use his real name? to do the whore thing, and most of all, this is what shocks me the most, to say Ring of Honor on air.
1: It's a collaboration. I mean, it, it was all of us getting together, and what, you know, what can we do to give this a, a real feel to it? Um, you know, the, the realist thing that happened that night, on top of everything, was it was the first time that Amy had seen Matt in a long time. I didn't get Amy together with Matt. So she was the- not ready. She was not ready for that at that point. So when Matt comes out, and then later on backstage, I mean, Amy was was emotional, and um, I felt horrible about that. You know, I, I, I second guessed that one, and and felt really bad about that because, it, you know, again, I, I keep saying the, these poor guys were were in really awkward positions and we're asking them to do this for business sake and um and it's real life emotions man you know she was with Matt for a long time and it just was very emotional and 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 it was real to to a large extent you know both guys giving their body to the other and and not knowing, you know, somebody's going to take a cheap shot or, or what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I say to this day, everybody was extremely professional.
0: Uh, so you get Matt and edge before the show. Is this the day of the show when you get them together for the first time? Or do they meet before this? Actual no, party? that
1: was that night. It was probably the, the show, the live event had started.
0: So the show's already happening and you just get them in a limo to talk.
1: Yes. Matt arrived in the limo and I brought edge out to him.
0: And at that point you specifically wanted to keep her out of there or did she request to stay out of there?
1: She, I, I didn't need her at that point And I, I knew that she was emotional. I knew that she didn't, you know, she wasn't ready for that. Okay. I didn't need her. And I didn't, so rather than muddy the water and put the object above, you know, everyone's desire in the middle of it, it wasn't necessary. You know, there was an issue between two guys that used to be friends um, and were ready to, you know, can we put the past behind us and move forward?
0: So I've uh, had the privilege of being you know, kind of behind the scenes at these shows with Rick a few times. And, uh, it's interesting to see, you know, just the social behaviors. You can kind of tell that there's groups of people who are super tight and then groups of people who aren't necessarily, it's not necessarily that anyone's cross, but, um, it's just different, you know, just like in real life or any work environment, anywhere in the world, do you remember, you know, we where Were Edge and Lita kind of shunned, or is there a certain group of people who just didn't care and, hey, that's y'all's business, or did people have a lot of sympathy for Matt? And did that change when Matt comes back that night and he's around all these people for the first time? Did some of these guys have to feel like they needed to babyface Matt, even if they really hadn't been?
1: Well, Matt wasn't around the guys in the back. Matt was thrown out. Matt was taken out, Matt went in a different way, Matt was taken out afterwards, he wasn't around the guys, but you know, I already said before, you know, Matt and Lita, had, had kind of been shunned a little bit and you know, from, from everything that had taken place. But once Matt came back, you know, it, it kind of all was just one big happy family again. And so what's the answer? It wasn't a happy family. It was that family that says, okay, we've got to work together and let's do what we need to do and be professional
0: everybody's talking about this. Um, so, you know, when one of the boys comes up that night and sees that Matt's there and says, Bruce, what's up? Uh, Matt's here. What's going on?
1: Well, Matt wasn't there.
0: Well, they see him when he told you
1: he came in a limo. He sat out in the back when it was time for him to come in. We snuck him in. He hits the ring. He's thrown out. He's sneaking back in. He does his thing backstage and it's thrown out again. So he wasn't hanging around in the back. He wasn't, talking with guys.
0: But I, I guess what I'm asking is the intent was to work the voice.
1: No, the intent wasn't to work anybody. It was the intent was for people not to be talking about it for not to get out and to give the air of reality because we were shooting backstage and to give that air of this isn't supposed to happen. And if he's back there and they're all hanging out and bullshit and everybody sees it and, and there's not that same intensity. There's not that same feeling. So there, we didn't want him back there. We didn't want some, some security guard with a camera snapping a picture and posting it online or anything like that. So the idea was to give it a real feel. I, I,
0: I, I follow all of that. You know, I, I got that. I guess what I'm, maybe I'm not asking the right way after SummerSlam this year, when Brock hardwayed Randy Orton, Rumors and innuendo would lead you to believe that Chris Jericho goes to Michael Hayes and says, what the fuck? And then there's maybe, or maybe not an incident, depending on, you know, which version of that story you believe. I guess my question is, does anyone come to the, to, to you guys and say, Hey dude, what the fuck after he's been out there? Not not
1: that I remember. I mean, I'm busy, you know, doing, doing live show and doing stuff. I'm busy. I, I don't have time to. I, I, you know, I don't have time to wonder about what everybody else is doing and worrying about, and I don't have time to sit there and, and answer questions about everything else. And, I mean, that, that sounds ish. Like, yeah. Huh?
0: Sounds assholeish.
1: I only, I'm sorry. I have a job to do. I've got a live television show that I'm trying to After run. After the
0: show's over, nobody says, dude, what's up? With Not Arty? that I remember. No. So, uh, I guess I'm sure is- they were
1: talking amongst themselves, but I, 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 when you're producing a television show while having you're responsible for all that stuff, I don't have time for that.
0: Yeah. We learned last week, you don't even have time to keep them from wandering out when they're fucked up. Uh, help me understand. You, you've told me in the past when I asked about working the boys and that you felt horrible about it. Now you're kind of working the boys and you're defending it. Hardcore. I'm
1: not working. I'm not working the boys. We just didn't, didn't tell them, you know, that there's a big difference. There's, you're sitting there and you go, okay, hey, this is going to happen. Why do? Tell me this. Why do they need to know everything that's going to happen?
0: Well, I'm not saying they do.
1: Well, you are because if, if they don't know every single thing that's happened, we're working them. So if we want to surprise everybody, we should get everybody together and say, okay, this is what we're going to do tonight, folks. We should have the run sheet. We should post the run sheet I, I, I online so everybody how you can see that. I don't, and and when we have our surprise, they should just see that. And there should be no shock or surprise or actual genuine emotion.
0: You done? I guess no, one. Man. Okay. I me fucking know when it's my turn to talk and I'll talk.
1: Okay. Your turn.
0: When we did the ECW show and we talked about ECW sitting in the front row and you know, you not smartening up Savio or JBL or Briscoe said you felt horrible about working the boys, but that's what Vince wanted. And now right. here you're saying, oh no, we should just put a run sheet and blah, blah, blah. So I'm just curious, not necessarily in the difference in thinking, but how you were able to differentiate between the two. What's the difference?
1: Well, there was no, there was no situation where there was really any danger. Okay. And the agents did know, okay. All the agents did know what was going to happen, Okay, but there was no, there was no need for the boys to know Got what it. was going to happen.
0: You, you you sold me. So, uh, who gets Vince to okay saying ring of honor on TV?
1: I don't know. It's just one of those things. What, what, what can we add to this to make it, make it reality based for oh. all I know, Vince didn't even know what the hell ring of honor is.
0: All right. Well, he did three shots, he being Matt Hardy, does three shots with Ring of Honor uh, right after Which he had
1: committed to before we brought him in, and we wanted him to honor his commitments.
0: So he does, right after this Raw appearance, uh, two days later, he does a Bite This. We'll come back to that. But that weekend, he works three shots with Ring of Honor beating uh, Christopher Daniels. Uh, and then afterwards cutting a promo on WWE and Johnny A specifically, he also beat homicide while he worked for TNA and then eventually lost to Roderick Strong in his last show for ROH at the time. Uh, and around this time he starts doing his, and many people remember this, his Matt Hardy will not die stuff. Uh, he had started doing that on YouTube before and, uh, selling that stuff directly. And now obviously that has continued to grow. Uh, and it's still a big part of his business today. Two days after this raw situation, he called in to bite this, uh, which was an, uh, internet show hosted by Todd Grisham. Uh, Lita was a guest on the show and they had Matt call in, uh, as someone who wasn't quote unquote signed. Obviously we know different here and he's continuing to call edge Adam and, um, He's complaining or she's complaining that he's cutting wrestling promos in real life. And she believes that he shouldn't have made any of this public. And he contends that he did nothing wrong. Graham pushes the issue and I'm sorry. Grisham, uh, pushes the issue and asks if Edge should have been fired over this. And Matt says, yes. Uh, Hardy alleges that edge was the adulterer as a married man who cheated on his wife. And he created this environment and that's when he kinda of falls on his sword about, you know, leaving his SmackDown push behind to forfeit that in an effort to travel with his girlfriend Lita. And obviously we know that story, his push kinda of disappeared. Um So help me understand when you're back and you know, you know, that Matt is back, was there a sentiment or did it cross your mind because I know you said you weren't there when it all happened. Um, why was Matt Hardy the one who was fired? I mean, this is really the million-dollar question of the situation. We, we
1: talked about that. It, it was simply because of, of Matt and the way that he handled it in the, in the beginning. And I don't think that uh, – first of all, I don't think that Matt handled it well. I don't think that he should have been fired either. So um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot that was – in my opinion done wrong so you know it's just one of those situations that unfortunately he got the shitty end of that stick
0: i guess what i don't understand is
1: i didn't fire him
0: no i know that i'm just you know but you always tow the company line on the show here
1: i don't tell what company line am i towing
0: well you're all matt hardy did was you know have his girlfriend cheat on him and then he got fired
1: no that's not what i said I said the way that Matt handled it and publicly, and all the stuff that he did online, and how he handled it. And I'm also said that the company didn't handle it correctly. So, if I, by saying that the company didn't handle something correctly, is a company line. I don't know what company line I would be towing here. Help me out. No, what, you, which company? Which company do I work for that
0: well, you their guess line they would be You know, if you if you read online, everybody says that you're a Vince apologist and you've been brainwashed and you just kiss his ass at every chance you get on the show. And I'm the guy who's supposed to call you on your bullshit. And I'm curious as the bullshit caller here, how this is different from, and let's just break away from WWF for a minute and let's talk about WCW because somehow when Kevin Sullivan is married to Nancy and she starts messing around with Chris Benoit, Benoit is looked at as the baby face by fans and Sullivan is the evil person or you know he's he's the person to blame or whatever but then when this happens here matt hardy gets the sympathy do do you find those two situations very weird
1: not really you know, i see what you're saying yeah it's 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 weird i from my vantage point i my sympathy would be with matt
0: I think it is with everybody's and it feels like the company made a business decision here to say, Hey, who's there more upside with and keep that guy and get this little troublemaker out of here. Wouldn't you? Well, I'm just saying in reality, Matt Hardy didn't cause any trouble. He's sitting at home rehabbing his knee, the trouble stir,
1: but he's, but he's stirring it up online and making it a bigger deal and bringing, making a private issue public.
0: I wonder if he would have done that had WWE stepped in and said, we need to separate this and take edge off the road for a little bit or something because
1: of a personal issue.
0: Well, not because it, of wasn't a personal a, issue. it was a
1: personal issue that wasn't affecting his work.
0: Bruce. Come on, man. If well, it's, no, it's,
1: I'm just I'm, well, just, I'm telling let's you, let's
0: talk about first family mortgage. People love when I do that. If I've got one of the guys in the office who's married and starts cheating on his wife with another guy in the office's girlfriend, you don't think that that's a little weird?
1: As long as they don't bring it in the
0: office. How can they not bring it into the office? They all work there.
1: Then fire them all.
0: But in this case, they didn't. They fired the guy who was at okay. home doing nothing. They,
1: they didn't. I, I can't give you that reason of why they did that. And I don't agree with what they did. So I don't know what else you want me to say. I don't agree with the firing of Matt Hardy.
0: What would you have done?
1: I don't. uh, I probably would have got them all together and said, get over it and move on. Either be professional and keep your private life personal or get rid of everybody. If you can't do that, then don't need any of you. And I don't know if that was done or not. You know, according to Johnny Ace, he tried several times to encourage Matt Hardy not to bring it public. Right, and he continued to do so. I don't think there's anywhere where you would see that uh, either Edge or Lita was making any of their issues public. So, who's who's the one that took it public? Who's the one that was causing up the most stir?
0: So what you're saying, the gist is the lesson is if you're in the WWE,
1: it's cool if if you're anywhere,
0: well, if you specifically WWE, they've taught us this, if you want to fuck somebody else's girl, you know, one of the other boys, girls, that's cool, but you got to make sure that that guy doesn't get hot about it and talk about it.
1: Well, again, it's how you do it to go on, to go online and uh, besmirch somebody. It's, it's no different than in real life. I mean, who are you going to, again, I, I, I hate the drama. I hate that bullshit. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of right in this whole situation. So finger fingers can be pointed everywhere you look.
0: Well, uh, at this time they continue this string of fights on the shows. So there's no like wrestling moves. They're just attacking each other, punches and kicks Going back and forth and then they play it up on a bite this together. They're really feeding into this internet culture here. And they put the two different groups in different rooms and, and film it. And Hardy brings up a good point that really gets a lot of sympathy. He says when edge was out hurt with his neck injury, Hardy called to check on him every day, but when Hardy was out hurt (laughs) Ed stole his girl. Uh, and somewhere in here, and I want to get your two cents on this. Cause a lot of people may not even remember this edge's wife goes online and starts making all kinds of accusations. But the one that I felt like would have gotten some WWE attention is she starts talking about steroids, uh, and his use of them. Do you remember that? And was there any credence given to that? Or was it just brushed off? like, Gosh, ah, just a crazy wife.
1: I don't really remember. I, well, I do, and I don't. Um, I don't remember the specifics, but, you know, I don't know that what credence it would be given. I mean, the same thing. I, I hate that they take it public.
0: Well, I'm just saying when other people are named, you know, as, as receiving well, that, shipments, <laughs> then, then that's a big deal. But here you've got somebody's wife saying that they, you know, he's using them blah, blah, blah. Does that prompt the test or is it just like, (laughs) I got to make the town?
1: No, again, according to, you know, some of your wrestling journalists, they claim that everybody's, you know, taking them and all these other things. It's to me, it's no different than that. You know, somebody making a claim that someone's doing something. Oh, well, I know he's on drugs.
0: But even given you know, this situation, there's no like uh, maybe i Did look did, Ed,
1: did Edge look like he was a huge bodybuilder guy that was on a lot of steroids?
0: Oh gosh, I didn't realize we were. Well, no, I'm asking so, you. No, but you know, there's a lot of guys who didn't look like they were. Josh Barnett was UFC champion, and you couldn't convince me that he even knew a guy named Jim. But he was UFC champion and failed for steroids, so the eye okay. test isn't always foolproof. Let's move on. This is stupid. Do you remember the Raw magazine photo shoot? They have all three of these folks on the Raw magazine cover and uh that would have had to have been done pretty early in order for them to get it out in time. Was that any any anything pop up about that? Any any memories? I have no
1: idea what you're talking about. Alright, great. No. let move along. What, what was the photo shoot?
0: Uh they were on the cover of a. you guys had a magazine called Raw. And they were on the yeah, cover. Yeah I remember of that. It. They were on the cover of it.
1: So? I mean together posing?
0: Uh they were doing double penetration. Uh, it was pretty risky at the time.
1: No, tell me what the what the what it was.
0: They just did a photo shoot together. SummerSlam is finally here and it's on second. So Vince McMahon brings back, uh, Matt and announces that he's made uh, a signing and brings Matt out of a limo, which is kind of the way you said it happened when they first brought him in. And so he's in the back hiding in a limo. Uh, Vince makes the announcement of who Edge's opponent's going to be. The crowd goes nuts. Matt comes out, cuts a promo. Matt Hardy will not die, blah, blah, blah. We're at SummerSlam now. This thing's been built up. It was hot. It was huge all over the internet. People started first hearing about it in February. We're all the way in August now. Quite a long build here. Uh, even two months in the summer, you know, for June and July, where they're really starting to build momentum. It's finally here. It's SummerSlam. The match is on second, and they get five minutes they just start with punches and chokes and kicks and stuff. Uh, and it's a little weird because the finish comes after only five minutes, as I said, and the ref stops it for blood and Edge was the winner. After all this build up. does this seem a little weird to you that it's just five minutes and it stopped for blood?
1: No. I mean, it was to get more out of it.
0: It just seems like SummerSlam is usually, you know, a big show and this didn't really feel like a big finish and it wasn't, they kept it going. They do a street fight in Tampa a week later on raw. That would have been August 29th. Uh, and the finish of that one is they go off the stage through some tables with a big explosion. Is this just starting to feel really overbooked to you in hindsight?
1: I feel it was, it was no, it was, it was not necessarily overbooked. It was rushed. And it was just one of those situations where Vince kind of rushed through it and wasn't feeling it. And what we probably would have done in six months' time, we did in six weeks' time. And going back to your raw photo shoot, because I pulled it up here on my Twitter machine, um, you know, they take those shots, and it looks like it's two shots with them divided in between each other here. Um, I don't know necessarily they were all three together at and even if they were, I mean, the turnaround time by 2005 was a lot faster than when we used to have to do it three months in advance.
0: All right. I'm glad we circled back for that information.
1: Hey, no worries. Uh, it's what I do.
0: Who's, whose idea is to book shit like, hey, put them off the stage and through a table and let them um, you know, have an explosion? Whose idea is that? H- who does it sound like?
1: Could be anybody. I don't know. Where was it?
0: Uh, Tampa. Raw. Uh,
1: again, could have been anybody. I, I don't know who the agent was or, or anything else. I mean, it could have been the talent, could have been the agent, could have been us.
0: We're on a roll today. I, a few weeks later, September 18th, they do a steel cage match at Unforgiven in Oklahoma City. This is finally the. Um, the match everybody was looking for. They go over 20 minutes in this one, and Matt does a leg drop off the top of the cage. Uh, Looking at that now, you know, a lot of people may not see that as a big bump. The good Lord, to do a leg drop off the top of a cage, you know, Hogan credits the leg drop over and over and over as being an issue with him for his back troubles. And the idea that you're going to jump off a cage and do this leg bump is a really big, big spot uh, your memories of that match or that bump or anything about that Unforgiven?
1: No, but, uh, to me it was, it was simply that culmination of the great matches that they used to have, you know, as a tag team and those two guys just going out and tearing it up. So I, I remember the match in particular, but, I you know, it was one of those. I thought it was a hell of a match that I remember.
0: No, it was a great match and it felt like it was finally the big payoff. Uh, for Matt Hardy, but we weren't done yet. A couple weeks later on October 3rd, they do a loser leaves raw ladder match. And this, you know, you knew what was coming based on the way, the way that everybody was before. Uh, so on this loser leaves raw ladder match edge goes over and Hardy is back on Smackdown again. Uh, do you remember the decision here to split them up and let this feud really end With edge being victorious, any sort of thoughts about that?
1: It was just time to, it was time to move on. So, I mean, you know, at some point, all the, all angles have to come to an end and it was time for it to come to an end and rather than keep them all on the same show, move Matt over and give him an opportunity on a different show.
0: Um, when he's first brought back and this angle's put together, is there any real thought of we've got to put Matt over, or we're gonna bring him back and give him this, but Edge is definitely given over. It just seems weird to me that he's the baby face, Matt is, but he loses, and he's out of there.
1: Well, Edge was the guy that we were going with. It was an opportunity to bring Matt Hardy back in and help build Edge. And Edge was the guy. I mean, Ed, you look at the two guys at the time, Edge was the star. Edge was the guy that we were going with. So it was a way to get Edge over. So bring Matt in, and then when they're done with Matt, rather than have him stay around there, move him to the other brand.
0: Well, I'm not arguing for a minute that uh, Edge was the more over guy and, and, and blah, blah, blah. I guess the question I have is, it seems like wrestling 101 is especially in an angle like this the baby face goes over but here that's not
1: not if you're trying to get the heel over and you're trying to build a star and that's where we were we were in that star building project with adam and the pair of adam and lita was they were getting over huge so you don't want to beat them you want to make them stronger
0: Hardy would go on to be the U S champ and ECW champ. Uh, he'd be the first guy to beat Mr. Kennedy, uh, when Kennedy was super hot, he had some start and stop pushes with injuries, staph infections, stuff like that. Uh, and then eventually, uh, his WWE run would come to an end in September of 2010. He would be sent home from a European tour and then he went crazy posting videos on YouTube, essentially crapping on WWE and demanding his release. He got his wish the following month in October and he was out of there. Uh, he had some craziness in his life for a little while. Uh, he's now kind of hit the reset button. He's happily married, has a, a new son, uh, really a success story, just like his brother. Uh, meanwhile, Edge and Lita would continue their stuff. Uh, and I guess the only, the big thing everybody wants to hear about before we wrap this one up, uh, since it is kind of pertinent to the situation. They booked a live sex celebration in January of 06 to celebrate his cashing in the very first money in the bank. Uh, And he beat used it to beat John Cena after his elimination chamber win at new year's revolution in 2006. And this drew a big rating for the WWE, the biggest of the year with a 5.2. Those are the type of ratings that everybody would want right now. Uh, kind of carry us through what you remember about the lives, sex celebration.
1: <laughs> well, it was Vince's idea and it was, you know, again, to kind of push that envelope. I had to pitch it and it pushed the envelope. I mean, there was even a, I believe there's a nip slip in there somewhere.
0: A full boob. Uh if if you're into that sort of thing Was it a full boob? I think so. Um I mean I, I'm not looking it at may It
1: may have been, man. It was it it was uh it was out there. It was a little different. And I know, you know, at the aftermath was more more of a fallout than anything cuz Amy was upset and she didn't care for it. She didn't she didn't like the segment, she didn't like the idea, she didn't like the execution. But as you say, it drew a hell of a rating.
0: So and help me understand how you pitch this. I'm just curious. So they come to the show that night and you guys have, I mean, did you decide before the pay-per-view after the pay-per-view the day of, I'm just curious how you set these after folks the pay-per-view.
1: Down. Okay. I, I want to say it was after the pay-per-view because I remember them pitching them and saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. And them looking at me as Jim Cornette would say, with steaming turds hanging out of my mouth. Um, Just, like, really not believing what I was suggesting. And, you know, went through it, and they were like, okay, very reluctantly. And then, of course, Vince gets involved and convinces him that this is the second coming and how great it'll be. And it was great. It was different. Um, Not necessarily my cup of tea, but...
0: So it's Vince's idea and he helps push it and, oh, yeah. and then they go do it. Um What was Lita not happy about after? Did she know that being
1: exposed?
0: She knew that one came out?
1: Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know, again, these are real people who have real parents and real family members, and and not, not real. Boots, not all the but. time do those family members and and friends and everything understand that this is entertainment, because to them they're just their friends.
0: Do you know if L Dandy was consulted on any of this?
1: I sure don't.
0: Anything else you want to uh, mention about this, Matt Hardy, Lita? edge love triangle from 2005
1: no i don't just in the end i'm I'm happy everybody's in a good place and it all finally found its way you know to work itself out and again it, during the time it sucked it, it wasn't uh it wasn't easy and uh there were a lot of hurt feelings and and a lot of fucked up shit that took place during that time so um we really didn't go into these, you know, with some flipping ideas. I, I did take into consideration the, the real life human beings of Adam Copeland and Amy Dumas and, uh, Matt Hardy. So tried to, tried to have a little sensitivity throughout the whole thing.
0: Let me ask you, uh, before I let you get out of here on this, what we you know, what was Jeff Hardy? What was edge? not Edge, but Christian, Hurricane, these are some of their buds. Uh, they're in a really bad spot here. Without did you a have, doubt. Did you have conversations with any of them about any of this? I mean, was there any sort of, you know, I got to stick up for my friend. I no. I can't believe he did this. I'm not working with that guy. No. no. Everybody's just going to work business as usual.
1: No, they're going to work and being professional. But no, I don't remember anything like that. That's not to say they might not have, you know, got those promos. Privately. Privately, but it never got to me.
0: All right. Anything else?
1: I don't think I do. You know, I didn't think we'd get this long on this this whole thing. It was, it was an interesting time. But out of it, I, I will say this, that out of it, and once edge moved on and then we did the stuff with Vicky Guerrero, you know, the evolution of edge and Adam Copeland in particular is an interesting one because how he came out of it on down the line. And then the stuff that he did with Vicky Guerrero was some of the best shit ever and just turned into one of the greatest talents I've ever had the pleasure to work with. And then you you look over at Matt Hardy right now and you see what he's doing in TNA and he's reinventing the business, reinventing himself and reinvent reinventing Jeff and making his wife and his wife's father relevant. So, you know, I'm proud of them all, all of them, you know, came through a little developmental camp, having in Connecticut at the Funkin' Dojo. And you look at them all now, and I'm I'm just really happy for them. And we all go through some difficult times from time to time.
0: Do you remember when you felt like everything was okay and everybody had buried the hatchet? Is there a particular moment that sticks out in time where you think, uh, this is when everything was okay? Or I remember feeling like, okay, they've put that behind them.
1: It took a while. It took a while. I I don't remember any one moment, but... But they did get there, at least from my perception. I think they did.
0: Um, Is it fair to say that this whole angle really helped catapult? I mean, it wasn't an angle. It was a situation, and then it became an angle. Do you think that this situation was really the catalyst for putting edge into the main events and giving him a chance to run with the ball. And also at the same time, the nail in the coffin for Matt Hardy in the WWE.
1: Well, as far as edge goes, edge was on his way. So yeah, this was, this was just another jumping off point. And I don't think that it put the nail in, in Matt's coffin. You know, he came back, he did the ECW stuff, and, and had a you know did some decent stuff there for a while. I mean, so, but so, but it you was, can't
0: compare the two, though, and I'm not No, you can't. That. Uh,
1: obviously, Matt... No, obviously, Edge, you know, went on to bigger and better things than Matt did at the time. Right, you can't deny that. But... So... I think at at that time, you know, that's the trajectory they were on.
0: It's really hard for me to buy into that. I can't help, but feel like when Matt Hardy lost that SummerSlam match in five minutes, based on blood loss, it cut the legs out from under him, especially when he loses the loser leaves raw match, you know, not only did he lose his girl, he lost his job and then he lost his, his revenge match. Uh, not once, but twice. And it felt a little bit like, uh, he was second fiddle no matter what. And I'm sure he was thankful to have the income and I'm sure he was thankful to have the spot and have the job, but edge became the rated R superstar and became a bona fide main eventer from a real life situation where he stole somebody's girlfriend and Matt Hardy in an effort to rehab his leg, lost his push, lost his job, uh, and then was really, I think. broken. yeah, there you go. Nice little segue there. So Bruce, before we get out of here, as we kind of put a bow on this episode, I, I want to kind of talk about other love triangles in wrestling history. Um, it seems like there's a little bit of a pattern here and I want to see if we can at least agree on this, uh, whether it's Shawn Michaels and Chris Candido and, and Sonny. Or it's Batista and Molina and Johnny Nitro or it's Mark Mero and Sable and Brock Lesnar or Triple H, Stephanie and China. Can you see a common pattern amongst any of those situations?
1: It's all over a girl, You you left out Matt Hardy. Ashley and Paul London.
0: Oh, I missed one. Okay. You know, missed one. so anything you want to share on that one? I don't know if that one
1: You out left there. out CM Punk and probably
0: a whole and, of, and everyone else.
1: Uh, I, I, I'm, uh, you've lost me. Where are you going?
0: Well, no, I just, uh, is there a lesson to be learned about?
1: Yes, there is. Don't shit
0: where you eat. Thank you. You know, it feels like in that scenario, when you're talking about, um, Sean and Candido and Tammy pays to be the more over guy, you're talking about Batista Molina and Johnny Nitro pays to be the more over guy, Brock Lesnar, Mark Mero, Sable pays to be the more. That
1: wasn't really a thing though. Mero and Sable were, were apart when that took place.
0: Triple H, Stephanie, China. I got all day.
1: Me too. Yeah, you know, I just, I think the lesson to be learned there is, you know, try not to shit where you eat, but sometimes life happens.
0: It's unfortunate that this happens the way it does. And with this group of folks, um, because at the end of the day, these are guys who kind of, you know, become a little bit of a family because they spent so much time together. And then something like this happens. Uh, can you think of any scenarios in the history of wrestling that really lasted? Like with these relationships, I don't mean like, you know, a couple of years here or there, but I mean, real deal, lifelong met in wrestling stayed together forever relationships.
1: What like uh husband wife theme,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: uh Adrian Street and Linda,
0: all right, well, there's one amongst ten thousand performers, any others
1: um
0: it feels like this is a really rare thing it's
1: it's rough, man, it's rough because you're you're on the road all the time, constantly y you, you know, I think that when it's the reason that I've stayed married as long as I have because I'm gone all the time, right, um. And it's, it's tough to travel with your loved one 24 uh, seven, around the world and plus having the same stresses of your job and everything else, man. It's, uh, not an easy life.
0: Yeah. It's funny because, you know, our, our good friend, the nature boy, Rick Flair was married to Beth, his second wife, I don't know, for something like 27 years or something. And so one day, you know, when we're just shooting the breeze and somehow marriage comes up, I just can't help but ask, dude how are you married 27 years and then you get divorced? Like how did that become a thing where, it, you know, it couldn't be workable or manageable 27 years in. And he said, you know, I was never around her. I was on the road so much. We were gone, you know, so much that when we were together, it was just like a fun vacation time. And then when I was home for a year, I realized, holy shit, we can't live together. And it just feels like that's kind of the story behind most relationships in wrestling it lends itself to either travel and absentee or this where it becomes too much
1: well you know yeah it can be said i think for a lot of things in life i mean life just happens and and for me You know, it's, I'm home long enough that they're happy when I'm home. And then right about the time they're getting sick of me, I'm back on the road again, so
0: (laughs) it works out. It wouldn't be something to wrestle unless I asked a money question and I know you're going to say you don't remember, but I'm going to give it a shot. Anyway, when Matt Hardy came back and you guys re-signed him, obviously he was coming back to a different situation where all of a sudden he was pretty hot uh did he come back for the same deal he had when he left
1: well it's not that i don't remember i wasn't involved in that end of it with matt coming back i was purely at that point i was purely on the creative end of things
0: if you had to guess would you think he would have come back for the same less or more
1: probably around the same
0: Well, this was not, uh, around the same type of episode for us. This was a clear departure for us. Just talking about the interpersonal part of the business. Be sure to stay tuned to something to wrestle. Chris Pritchard.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together.